The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day.
there's flashbacks on that. Love one, me some synth, and uh, for me, that is the quintessential '80s song. Oh, it's soundtrack shit. Soundtrack yeah, total, total shit. soundtrack, which yeah. actually works in a way against the overall sound of the '80s because it is so heavy synth and new wave. Kind of should have, but that's what people identify. It is, you know, particularly in early '80s yep. uh, stuff. That was like, you know, the uh, the progression, the changeover to that that. I don't know, what did they call it? New Wave? Is yeah. that what they called it back yeah. then? Yeah. Yep. Um, for anybody who doesn't remember, and that's probably one or oh, two people. Oh, they know. That was from uh, <laughs> Gary Newman's like monster album, uh, The Pleasure Principle. Very aptly named because it ushered in the era of cocaine. And other guilty pleasures. Yeah, it's quite yeah. a few. Quite a few. <laughs> Greed was good back then, folks. Greed was good. Yes, but of yeah, course. It, uh, it reeks of 80s, just 80s. An era that, quite honestly, I fucking hated. So That's why you. today is going to be so yeah, sweet. Yeah, thank you for bringing this up, John. Because it's time for me to, to entertain myself in, <laughs> in some ways, perhaps different ways than usual, because I've been wanting to do uh, an episode about those oh, wacky yeah. big 80s well, it's for your wheelhouse, so long. Man. It is totally your wheelhouse. I don't know. It's just, it, it deserves recognition. It was an interesting era. You know, um, yes. it's, it's very easy to hate out on it because that's basically the accepted yep. thing about the 80s, if you can remember them. And unfortunately, I can't remember them. But, uh, but yeah, you know, talking about uh, show prep and whatnot, digging into uh, the music of the time, there was actually a lot of good music going on. There was, you and know, a lot of different genres of yeah, music. Yeah, very much so. Very Either, much so. you know, established or making their bones at the time. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, of course, it deserves recognition. So, of course, we'll take that concept and turn it on its ear. Let's do that. Because in our main topic tonight, of course, we're going to jump in our Big Boom Radio time machine <laughs> and go back to the 80s, but we're going to do it in a way that reflects uh, a modern condition known as wokeism. No, dear Lord. That, the, the W Here word. we go. Right. Here we go. Revisionist, uh, revisionist <laughs> history here. And in particular, you know, because, hey, we're, we're seeing it around us all the time now, things from... Shit, even the 90s, yeah. 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s, getting um, like lots of important nuggets of history eliminated rather than translated. Oh, yeah. Okay? Well, you know, I mean, I'd be the first to call bullshit on, you know, taking what was okay back then and running it through the sensibilities of now and declaring mm -hmm. it not fucking cool. Yep. You know, that's... that's. Uh, I was about to go on a, on a, on a Don King-esque rant of, of <laughs> bad rhyming schemes, you know. So it was the first one, instead of interpret it, we would put it, I don't know. But uh, let's say, we would then put things on the stoop instead of understood. <laughs> <laughs> and I lost the rest of it, but there was going to be a couple yeah. there. It was going to work. Okay. But here, here's the, the crux of my argument, like a chicken bone stuck in a fat girl's throat. Anybody that doesn't <laughs> understand that the, the, the Riffs and Rants time machine is powered by vodka and energy drinks. And vitriol. Yes. Vodka and vitriol. That would be the next podcast. That would be a good drink combination. That would be an amazing combination. Anyway. I think so. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. We yeah. love ourselves. Uh, a lot of the, whether music or, or, or motion pictures from the 80s, and just those pop culture things that just felt like an old like sock at the time. They were so comfortable. We loved it. Yeah. Now, looking back, there are some things from the 80s that would not fly today no, against today's quite, woke subculture. Yeah, quite, quite a few things, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Now so that we look back, but we don't apologize for any of it. No, we never apologize for anything on this yeah, show. Not at all. So let me throw out uh, a low-hanging fruit yeah. example okay. of what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, hit me. 
Now, we're all big fans in this, this bracket of ours, our demographic, yes. of the John Hughes movies ah, of the 80s. Yes. And we applaud him for his uh, singular ability to capture the angst of what it was like to be a teen during the 80s. Oh, he fucking nailed it. But talk about a victim of revisionist history. Oh, yes. You know? And our point here today is to kind of give a wink and a nod and say, you know what? Maybe that's some of that's deserved. Okay. <laughs> so looking at his body of work, yes. such classics as uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Great film. 16 Candles, yep. Pretty in Pink, Weird Science, and you know, of course Uncle Buck, but that's not relevant in our yeah, conversation. He, he did have a, a definite talent to capturing the totally. zeitgeist of the era. Yeah, he wrote teens better than teens did. He kind of did. Which makes him super creepy in and of itself today. Very okay? creepy, yeah. But for our purposes... Isn't um, he dead? Is he dead? He is. He, he is, is, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. Um, for our uh, intensive purposes here, I want to focus in on something in, in particular. Okay. Um, if you look back at his body of work, uh, the majority of the John Hughes movies, as yeah. good as they were... Yeah. Um, they're also very homophobic and very, <laughs> very white. Okay. Yeah, that's a crime these days. Now, not in, so much the homophobia, but the whiteness. Well, really both, though. Yeah. You because know, God forbid you offend a gay black person, you're screwed. Oh Lord. So there are many instances, um, and and Sixteen Candles jumps out in the front as, as does Weird Science, where the term faggot is used quite regularly. Yeah, I do remember in that. a derogatory sense. Yeah, I do remember. Don't be such. Yeah, a lot of people using that word a lot back right then for some reason. Yes, you're a total fag. And now, truth in advertising, you and I being of that same age that these movies had taken place. Yeah. You're a faggot. We would throw that back and forth to our friends and not think much about it. Well, it didn't. It it didn't seem. I don't know. It's hard to explain to, you know, the overly sensitive uh, children of today. It was a different day and age. That it didn't seem that. I don't know. What's the innocuous. Or poison. It didn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, we did. It, you didn't really directly associate it with homosexuality. You know, it was just or kind something of, bad in the true sense of the word bad. Yeah. It's something to tease your friends about. Yeah. You know, and if we learned anything from the 2020 election, a lot of stuff is said amongst guys <laughs> that they don't necessarily mean in, in the true black and white texts of the words. Yeah. But it boys will be boys. Well, you take it out of context, and it doesn't hold up. Right. Um, to right. scrutiny, you know, and I can just see all my, my you know, 20-something nieces and nephews rolling their eyes right now <laughs> saying, how could you have not known? Exactly. You know, but yeah, yeah it's, it's a hallmark of every era and every generation that comes after every generation. Sure. You look back on the things that they did and you're like, how could you have not known that was wrong? Right. And, was like, well, and even though, you know, his movies and the teens involved were taken as a cross-section of whatever, quote-unquote, Americana was at the time. Yeah. Even in The Breakfast Club, which was a masterful, I thought at the time at least, representation of the different cliques that exist in high school to very, this day. Oh, very okay? much so, absolutely. Not a single black character. This is also true. I challenge anybody to pull out a single black character out of any John Hughes movie. Very good. Yeah. That had any substantial role or dialogue or anything. Yeah. Very good. And it's so conspicuous by its absence. Yeah. Now, me, who often rails against... You know, going back and, and, and trying to, you know, even I'm looking at this and I'm like, look, seriously, especially if these movies all supposedly took place in the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. There's one particular area. I forget the name of it. Yeah. Not, not a single black face. Come on. Stop. Well, 
Yeah, but at the same time, Chicago is one of the most self-segregated cities in the country. Is it now? Yeah, it is. You can look that one up. And, you know, in defense of John Hughes, he wasn't the person who created the situation. He was just reflecting it. Right. You know, art is a reflection of life. Yeah. Um, and there was nobody else breaking ground um, at the time. Now, if you look at Fast Times at Richmond High, at least they had a young Forrest Whitaker yeah. playing a, a main role. Yeah, very much. So it's like the blueprint was kind of there. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, look. But that was kind of the white suburban reality back then. Is right. You had two, maybe three black kids, mm-hmm. maybe one or two Indian kids in your in your high school class. Right. And that was pretty much it. You yeah. know, we, we, we're talking about the suburbs. We're not mm-hmm. doing... Movies on inner city. Right. And, and, and even here, because you just touched on it, um, the one Asian character from 16 Candles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no more Yankee, my wanky. The Duck Dong. I mean, oh, look, he's oh, got a funny Asian name. Yeah, let's put him in there. Yeah. Poor kid. But that set, set the, the tone for the rest of the 80s of what the Asian characters would be represented as. Unfortunately. So, yeah. like I said, that was my first example. And with each one of these examples, because we each have a couple. Yeah. The question is not, why is all this shit wrong? Because it's wrong simply because we're bringing it up. Yeah. The question is, would those instances or those films or songs or whatever, would they be canceled or would they alter them to make them conform? Yeah. That's the question at work here. Well, I think in, in, a, in the case of John Hughes, they would be altered. Because, Which they've already begun doing. Yeah, because you know, there was some accuracy to it. Yep. You know, and maybe that's what it was, is he was exposing you know, that... Uh, distortion, mm-hmm. you know, of the times that the you know non-inclusive nature of the times, and as stupid as this sounds, you know, I, people at that point didn't know. Right, they yeah. didn't know, or know? it wasn't a priority. Put yeah, it that way. and they weren't they weren't sensitive to certain things. Yep, you know, and and you know, between now and then, things have changed. Yep, you know, things have progressed, and this is a good good uh, good time to point out to you know people who are of the belief that nothing ever changes. That's completely wrong. Things do yeah, change. They do. You know, it takes I, time, but they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. So I will agree there. I would say that yeah. those movies and his, his work as a whole will conform. They will edit it. Yeah. They will keep the sentiment, which was singular and good, yeah. and most of the performances of the actors and actresses, good. Yeah. But the, uh, just the superfluous use of, of faggot and, and any other gay slurs, um, you, know, you can't instantly incorporate characters of different ethnicities. Yeah. But... The messages ring true, which is like equality for everybody and everybody having to get along. So hopefully that will carry the day. Yeah. I mean, there were some things that he nailed, some commonalities yes. that exist today amongst that demographic of yep. you know high school students. And you, you nailed know. it. It's about commonalities. Yeah. Because those never change. No, they actually don't, which is funny. But, so, uh, yeah, over I got to you, example. sir. You got one for us? Yeah. And this is, this is without a doubt a slam dunk cancel. Oh, boy. Uh, do you remember the Dukes of Hazard? Of course I do. Ran from... Uh, I believe it was January of 79 to February of 85. Yeah. That would never fly today. Not even close. You know, from the from the uh, Confederate flag on the hood of the car. Yeah. You yeah. know, to them flaunting, you know, law and order. Uh, the, the buffoonish portrayal of, you know, the local police. Yeah. Yeah, that, that shit would get canceled so fast, it would give you whiplash. Well, I tell you what, I uh, and it was a very popular show. Oh, it massively popular. It probably yeah. saved CBS in a, in yeah. a bunch of years. There. Well, during the seventies, during the, the the mid to late seventies, if you remember, um, that 
uh, element of American life, uh, Southern culture, mm-hmm. you know, particularly with Jimmy Carter becoming president in 76, yep. um, came to the forefront. You know, CB culture, trucker culture. Yeah, good point. Uh, a lot of good bands from the South were huge. The, the Yaman Brothers at that point mm-hmm. in time, Molly Hatchet, these bands were huge. So this was a representation of that culture to a degree. Right. And yeah, it was, it was kind of, again, if you put it through today's sensibilities, they were completely blind uh, and not sensitive to certain things. See, I think they could uh, they could do it and get away with it, but it would not be a pure situation comedy, which yeah. mostly that's what that show was. Yeah. If they stylized it, okay? Okay. And which they kind of attempted to do when they rebooted it as, as a movie, yeah. and they gave it some backstory, like what's really up with these two cousins, why yeah. do they drive fast everywhere, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know... The the archetypes would not work. You're right. Boss Hog, Roscoe P. Coltrane. I mean, in, yeah. in, in the scrutiny that the law enforcement profession is under today, there would be no Roscoe P. Coltrane <laughs> no, or Cletus not. or any of them. <laughs> but if you think about it, there is entertainment to be found in that southern... I'm saying this as a north northeasterner. That yeah. southern subculture. Right. And especially if you did it maybe as a period piece, right. not modern times... It could work. It would be something on the CW, you know, late on a Friday night or whatever. But I think there would be an audience for it. But going back to your original point, yeah, as it stands, canceled. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if if people from that area of the United States, you know, looking back on it now in particular, would cringe at the stereotypical portrayals of, you know, the brothers, the family, you know, the police. There's so much stuff they, they left out. I mean, look, let's face it. Clearly, whether they showed it or not, the Duke family made their money off moonshine, <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there was one episode yep. where they actually addressed, like, a drug issue, and, and Boss Hogg famously was like, nah, I'm nothing to do with drugs. That's dirty business. So he almost redeemed himself in an Archie Bunker kind of way. Right, right. But the bottom line is, look, they, they weren't paying the rent milking that one goat they had, <laughs> and God knows what Daisy Duke did after hours at, at the Boar's right, Nest, okay? right. I mean, here's this hot piece of southern ass. Never dated anybody. That's true. She would tease Enos, the deputy, but they never actually hooked up. No, they never so did. So what's really going on there? Kind of makes you wonder. <laughs> there's, a, there's a subtext there. Yes. You know, a hint. Uh, uh, and despite know, of all their, their antics and, and being good-hearted boys, blah, 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 how do those Duke boys even have licenses still? <laughs> I mean... Well, that's the thing is that, you know, they're getting chased around town by, you know, the deputy. Right. They lose him. They go home. How do they not show up <laughs> at, at the Duke home with a SWAT right? team to take these guys down, you know? In reality, they'd be swarming them like, like Branch Davidians. Oh, ridiculous. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Helicopters, yep. you know, the whole nine. Apparently, know. the Duke boys never met the ATF on a bad day. Apparently not. All right. <laughs> All right. Moving over to our next example. Back to you, John. Woof. <laughs> how does one even follow that? Well, I'll tell you how. All right. A little cinematic gem from the early 80s starring yes. Dudley Moore Okay. Uh, in the titular role of Arthur. Oh. Oh, yes. The, the, uh, the ramshackled <laughs> ne'er-do-well bachelor who's worth billions who just floats from one day to the next just drunk, drunk off, his off his ass, ass right? Just, yeah. Driving himself around the greater metropolitan area <laughs> yep. and his fancy ass, like Bentley or whatever it was. Yeah, this guy's got martinis for right? blood, you know? He pulls up, he puts like a cocktail on the, the fender of the car. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Arthur, will you take my hand? That would leave you with one. He's like off-gassing and like getting everybody <laughs> around him buzzed, you know? <laughs> 
Man, if I was if I was British, I would have uh-huh. taken offense to that even then. Oh, you know, I would have been like, "What are you portraying our, our countrymen as?" <laughs> you know, but this was very funny to Americans. This right. Was well, here's the thing. Shit, I mean, Arthur you know? was American. His butler, John Gilgood. Got to play like the Obi Wan Kenobi kind of role, just yeah. to keep this guy at a lockup, basically, Seriously, right? Yeah. And then of all the chicks, here's the real science fiction part of the whole thing. Of all the chicks this guy could have, he falls for a really broke down ass Liza Minnelli. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> shit. Who was no stranger to getting hammered herself. So uh, other yeah. than his litter, apparently, uh, his liver, apparently the alcohol is wreaking havoc with his eyesight. Yeah. Because damn, I mean, yeah. But yeah, his his just and really it was shortly after that that drunk driving was starting to get seriously addressed in this country, and groups like Mad started to take hold because yeah. kids were getting killed left and right by well, drunk that was, drivers. Well, yeah, that was when the actual stats started to become public, right? right. And, you know, when people started seeing those numbers and thinking that uh, you know one for the road, right, which right. was a common you know mentality back then. Not oh, we all the been phrase, there. Yeah, that suddenly was like one for the road meant this many people getting killed on the way right. home. And now because the whole topic is such a verboten issue, on this one I would put a cancel on. Yeah, there's, I, there's I, no way to do it. I'd have to agree with you. I can't. You can't spin that one. I right, because you can have a, a new version of Arthur that's just hooked on sniffing permanent markers. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Driving impaired is not funny. Yes, huffing white out. No, right? not funny. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, it just well that pretty much eliminates the character. You know, exactly. Because that was his charm, is because he was hammered off his ass all the right. time, you know. And he was, you know, he had a redeemable quality to the fact that he was a fucking drunk ass mess, right? You know. And, and even in the remake with Russell Brand, who was funny for about what thirty seconds, if that. And yeah, he's just disappeared off the radar. Maybe mm. it was because of his remake of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and they happened. They had an opportunity there to kind of modernize it. And maybe portray him always, I don't know, somebody with syphilis or anything else <laughs> that, that those habits would incur. Yeah. Um, or make him like a meth addict or something. They, they didn't do it. And it just, it, it rang or didn't rang or resonate with audiences at Not all. Not at all. Not at all. So, yeah, again, I agree with you. That, that just is a straight up cancel. Yep. All right. Over to you, Spartacus. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I'll throw this one out there because it was such a huge hit um, back in 1983. But today... Wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be received in such a way. Uh, I want to call out the uh, the monster police hit "Every Breath You Take." Oh yes, that's the stalker <laughs> anthem of all time. Well, our new album, Restraining Order. <laughs> I will kill him. Would not just would not fly. Or is it even worse if it's like a stalkery song sung by a group called the Police? The Police, yeah, which that would fly today. Yeah, kind of contradictory <laughs> in terms. But uh, but yeah, you know, given given uh, people's uh, heightened awareness of that scenario, yep, yep. that song today would not fly. It just would not fly. Would you alter it or would you cancel it? I don't think it could be altered. The sentiment that Sting is expressing, uh-huh. you know, is that of the jealous, rejected. Um, Psychopath, mm-hmm. um, watching his ex, watching her every move, right. you know, and basically saying, you know, I'm gonna be there when you fuck up. You yeah, know, I'm gonna yeah, be there true. to enact my vengeance. You know, and it just. So you don't yeah. think adding a, a, a stanza or two at the end where it says, and I'm only kidding, you live <laughs> your life and be happy, I support you. With today's <laughs> sensibilities. In regards to male-female relationships, uh-huh. you can't save that one. Right. You can't do it. All right, then I'll go with you. That's like cancel every breath you take. I think so. Oof. All right. Back over to you, John. The joys of living in a totalitarian society. I'm I telling tell you. you, man. 
Well, this one's a, a dead ringer. This is my low-hanging fruit, but I save it for last because it's just damn. Okay. Um, and I believe this movie was a trilogy, but we're going to focus only on the first one, Revenge oh. of the Nerds. Oh. Oh. Which was such a funny movie it, at it, the time. In the context of the right? times, yes, One of those that, that literally would make anybody laugh out loud watching it for the first time. Yeah. I'm a nerd, and... Uh, I'm pretty proud of it. But as you go back and watch it, it didn't really age well. No. In particular, the geek stereotypes. Well, yes. And let's say what it was that made them, quote unquote, nerds. Now, look, the word nerd is still like so vague mm-hmm. that everybody could l- laugh at it. Yeah. I'm going to wedge you a nerd or nerd's got tape on their glasses, whatever. Yeah. But the way the movie went about portraying individuals as nerds yeah. based on... Their mannerisms, their looks, their actions, yep. their social status. Yep. Yep. For example, you got the the redheaded guy Point Dexter, yep. okay, with the ill-filling suit that played the violin. Yeah, had very bad allergies, um, and was just like a, a, a friggin' nerd. Yeah. So in today's environment, where so many kids are allergic to peanuts and shit and can't <laughs> eat stuff, the, the, the soccer moms would ban that character. Yeah. Okay. Completely and totally. Then you got the uh, the Asian. Okay, who is very like hunched over and meek and mild and oh, I am Asian. I just want to take pictures. Stereotype yeah. on steroids. That's not gonna fucking no. fly right Hell off there. Oh no. no. Then you've got probably the the coup de gras. I mean, you got Booger. Call me Booger. Who's yeah. just like dirty slob, and anyone who's gone to college knows that. Yeah, they're yeah. there. Yeah. And even the two nerdy computer geek guys, yeah. who nowadays would probably get worshipped because they would have like the coolest stuff in the room, and they're probably going to be the highest earners once they get out. Most likely. But let's cycle back to one Lamar Luttrell, the gay black member <laughs> of the fraternity. Ding, ding. That's a double strike right yeah, there. Yeah, just not cool to make fun of the socially inept anymore. Or let's say the gays or the blacks. Yeah. They took it, they mushed it into one, and even though he redeemed himself and and all of these individuals, when given the chance, proved their worth, it's not enough, baby. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) It's true. And then he even got the little Wormser guy who's like 13, and he's so smart, that's how he gets in the thing. But the scenes with him watching like pornography and everything with this, or or going with, yeah, let's bring in, let's bring him on in. You lose your again, party. Yeah. The Omega Moos, okay, mm-hmm. which naturally have to be large, large girls. So yeah. they're the nerdy girl fraternity. Why? Because they're large and, you know, Apparently. Ruben-esque. I yeah. guess that makes them bad yeah. people in, in this thing. Yep. And let's face it, we laughed. We all did. Oh, we did. It was, it was okay to make fun of nerds. Never mind that, you know, they were going to grow up to be Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and release exactly. Facebook on the world. Yep. Anybody that thinks that Facebook was like... You know, something that was going to improve society. No, this is Zuckerberg's revenge. This right. is how he brings right. down Western civilization. And, of course, there, there's another way to look at it. And this does not come, for me personally, from a place of, yeah, I hate nerds too. Nerds! But it was very easily to vilify the quote-unquote cool uh, fraternity, I guess, which was all the athletes on the football yep. team. Douchebags. And then he had the evil sorority and whatnot. Yep. And nowadays in this country, here comes my really unpopular opinion. Okay. Maybe you should strive to be more like the cool sorority or be a student <laughs> athlete and make something of yourself than just throwing your hands up in the air like William Defoe in Platoon and being like, oh, how come I'm not special just because I'm quirky? I'm just saying. Just I'm, throwing it I'm out there. I'm so glad nobody knows where the studios of Big Boom Video <laughs> are right now. 
Because we'd get firebombed. We no, because look, I mean, look, we, we, no, look, we live taken. in a society no, where people taken. are like, oh, why am I being vilified? How come nothing's fair? I need oh, a trophy. Yeah. Da, da. Well, make something more yourself. Now, granted, those are bad examples because they were all born with, you know, silver spoons in their mouth and whatnot. And, yeah. Um, to quote Jim Harbaugh this week, he's one of my favorite uh, uh, cliches, <laughs> born on uh, third base and you pretend you hit a triple. Yeah, thinking you hit a triple. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is why those people with the evil ones. But if you just stop to think about it a second as we're dissecting these stereotypes, yeah. especially in 80s movies, oh, yeah. why is the person that's like successful and, and with it and clean cut and focused, why are they always the bad guy? Uh, that's, or gal, yeah, born with a gold <laughs> nugget up your ass. You know, yeah, vast yeah. majority of the populist culture is going right. to hate the fuck out of you. But let's face it, man. Living in the real world, sometimes you have to sweep the leg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Reality's a bitch. You know, it truly is. Now, over to you, friend of all men. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, I want to. I want to throw out an honorable mention right now um, to uh, has unfortunately given all of us uh, a lot of laughs over the years that would no longer be okay and you could probably say this about a number of di- of their different uh, characters but the mm-hmm. uh, do you remember the Muppet character the Swedish chef of course yeah that would never fly today you know every every stupid cliche about <laughs> Swedish people embodied in one and, and granted he's a puppet Right, but that would still offend the shit out of so many people today. Well, if you're Swedish, yeah, it's, it's going to offend yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. So I want to give that my honorable mention. But uh-huh. my number one choice would be Baywatch. Go on, Baywatch, objectifying <laughs> the female. They were body. highly trained beach <laughs> rescue personnel. I'll have you know, our crack team of <laughs> and a huge international hit. And I never knew that, say, the, the uh, group of lifeguards on this particular beach held as much way to, say, state police, yeah. um, National Guard, Absolutely. You know, Navy yeah. SEALs. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. when they can't handle the tough jobs, clearly they would always go to the, the beach patrol. Yes, they would. They would. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, having lived in Southern California for as long as I did, you know, this is a relatively accurate accurate portrayal of. That's but, even uh, scarier. Yeah, isn't it, though? Because, you know, being from the East Coast, I was at a certain... Opinion of lifeguards, and it was always one hundred percent positive. And you know, again, being from the East Coast, I would expect your lifeguards, which is a uh, gender non-specific term, it still is. it is. Um, I would expect them to be hot and buffed and everything. But it was it was their adventures on that show. Yeah, like I said, like one week they were going to outer space. It was just all <laughs> you know. They they fought Godzilla once. I forget. It was just so like ridiculous, yep, yep, and yep. and camping over they the top. Off that. A Martian invasion, of I believe, course at they one did, point. right? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> never mind the international, you know, intrigue that they got involved. Sure, in and in between would help, you know, the homeless and things yeah, like exactly, that. Exactly, and once or twice save a drowning victim. Wouldn't fucking fly today. <laughs> would not work. So you wouldn't try and conform it to a more realistic. Uh, um, I don't know if it's possible to reform that <laughs> that concept. It it isn't meant to be. You know, conformed. It's just, just not. You know, this was okay. like kind of like, well, we can get away with it. We're going to do this. Sooner or later, people are going to wake up, and you know, we're going to have to shit can it and walk away. <laughs> but in the meantime, we're going to make a whole freaking boatload of money. Years and years and years. I mean, how long was that show even on the air? Oh God, I don't it's gotta know, be quite. close to a decade. Yeah, a while, a while. Oof. But yeah, every single stupid stereotype. Yep. You could possibly come up with. There's drugs on the beach, man. <laughs> Some but, guy handing out pills that dude got those wide <laughs> no, ecstasy. No. It's ruining this country. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
but in the end, really, truly unsympathetic characters. Yeah. You know, you're 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 beautiful, and you know. When you, you start rooting for the sharks, you know yeah, there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't fly today. All right. Not fair even enough. a little. Not even a little. Yep. I mean, excellent examples, one and all. But it just Absolutely. goes to show. What an idealistic bubble of ignorance we were living in at the time. Yeah. And I kind of miss it. It's, it's tough being woke. Again, looking back on it, very, very amusing. You know, we, we all participated, you know. <laughs> we, we all we did all, it. We all drank like the Like Nazi guards. Yeah, you know, and quite, quite a few of us did the cocaine. Oof. You know, and yeah, that was, that was then, this is now. And on that note, what a perfect segue yes. into yet another dynamic 80s gem. Yes, and I'm... I'm, I'm Thrilled to be able to push this one out there because this is uh, this is one of the Pride of Boston bands. Oh, here uh, we go. From back in the day, and of course, I am talking about the Cars. You know, the the princes of new wave, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, just just the iconic band of that era. Yep. And uh, and I think this is the or one of the iconic tunes of that era. This is off their uh, second album, the same name, a song called Candio. All right, I love this gem. I love all the gems by the car. So Michael knew this was low-hanging fruit. But, hey, sometimes you got to go for those easy ones. Absolutely. Let's play this tune and then come right back with some more things and...
Love me some cars. Solid. Like I said, I would never poo-poo. And I shouldn't even arm you with this knowledge because you will take advantage of <laughs> I'll it. I'll run with it. I Captain will. Clash. I will. I definitely will. I, 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 I love everything by the cars. Yeah. Oh, you know, how, how? I mean, the band, you know, their greatest hits album was their first album. You know, it's just... <laughs> You know, we tacked on one or two from subsequent yep. albums, but yeah, they were they were a, just a. I know you think I overused the word, but they were a seminal part of the soundtrack of the eighties. No, no you argument know? there. Totally they, right. You know, very very well represented. The city of mm-hmm. Boston was on that one. Truly was. And I thank every day to my older sister who was would set the blueprint for what I would like in years to come as yep. far as music goes. Yep. You know, first she went through her Rolling Stones phase, okay. which I followed the the Tattoo You era. There we go. Uh, and right at that heavy, heavy Cars rotation nice. once we hit the 80s, and nice. it just stuck with me forever. Well, back then, that sound was new. It was different. Right. And uh, it was so cool. Yeah. You know, it was it was definitely like the cool kids would jump on, on that bandwagon. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, good <laughs> stuff. Good fun. Good fun. So on that note, yeah. you know, all these fantastic 80s jams, we talked about 80s, the, the cancel versus the woke. And well, that's one of the things I have to concede right now. Uh, yeah, mark your calendar, Johnny. I'm going to concede <laughs> a point. In, in doing the research for this, You know, I discovered that, that the, the uh, label that the 80s has of being like the cesspool of music, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the dark, dark black hole, not really accurate. See? A lot, a lot of good stuff came out. In I the tell 80s. you, I might stuff. be crazy, but I'm not silly. Well, it was, it was unfairly, <laughs> unfairly uh, labeled by the late '80s hair band thing. Right. That was again the late '80s. That wasn't the entire decade. And as somebody who's, who's you know made more money and more of their living over the years in music than I have. I, I grant you the boon of being a little more critical than the average Joe when it comes to music. A little bit. That being said, fuck you. I knew I was right. <laughs> And on yeah, that he- note, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Here's our amazing, because I thought of it, amazing subtopic uh, for this episode. Yes. It is uh, Michael Sean Lee and I's respective top five favorite albums from the 80s. Yep. And it's important to note that, you know, originally this started as what each of us was listening to in the 80s, and that's what we called this list from. And then we got together and we decided that really our choices did not necessarily reflect our opinions today in any way, shape, or form. This is true. Especially me coming in with one of them being a Madonna and another one being (laughs) Heavy D and the boys. All love and respect to them. It just doesn't reflect where I'm at right now. So, Well, you know what was really telling? Was my honorable mention list is huge. It's like, it's like 20 yeah, groups. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it, it was really actually hard to narrow See, down the Honorable the mention by the syntax itself means one. Yeah. One honorable mention. You had 20. I know. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and it, it, very telling. Again, it kind of changed my perspective right. on the 80s music scene. It so really we, we took it out of overdrive, dropped it back down in the fifth, and we came up with our top five albums where we're at right now. Yep. In our own singular humble opinions, just what our favorites were. Simple Absolutely. as that. Yeah. We're not looking to impugn anybody or, nope. or vilify any piece of music. Just saying these are our favorites. So yep. on that note, sir, what's your number five? My number five, um, and this is generally a band that's not associated so much with the 80s as the 90s, but uh, the reality of the fact is that they came in during the tail end of the 80s um, with the 1987 album Nothing Shocking. I'm talking about Jane's Addiction. Now, how did I know that they were on the <laughs> list? <laughs> I need to call DraftKings and see what my bet on that pays out. Well, it was just, it was one of those albums that it actually, you know, flew very, very much under the radar of the time. Like but that it, band. Yeah, but it influenced so many bands that came after them. 
um, that you could do this, you could do this kind of album. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we're talking about bands that blew up in the '90s, like Soundgarden, um, like Pearl Jam. You know, these guys. You know, it was it was like it didn't sell many copies, but every cool kid had one. Right. You know, and it, it was again, which is why I always humor you <laughs> when you bring up and extol the virtues of, of Jane's addiction. But yes, Adosium. folks, it was it was an '80s album. It came out in 1987. So Fair enough. It's your you list, go. and yeah. who am I to judge your list? Yeah. Nobody. All right. What do you got, John? Well, I think we might even uh, cross streams on a, on a couple of these. Okay. My number five uh, was ACDC, Back in Black. Wow. Just wow. because, damn, what what self respecting young man or young lady for that matter wouldn't have this blast and agreed and their underpowered Camaro or Trans Am? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's it's hard to communicate to people how uh, this album just permeated everything, everything in the early part of the decade. It was a stunning, stunning turnaround for ACDC, who had lost their lead singer Bon Scott. Right, and you know many people were like, "Well, that's it for them." Yeah. And then they come back with Brian Johnson and Back in Black. And Didn't oh miss a beat. God. Yeah. And it's still so raw and honest and legitimate. That's why people are still listening to it today. It yep. has aged beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. Stunning stuff. And yeah, you're right. It, it still sounds so good. Yep. If you want to rock, this is the album you go That's a go-to. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff, John. Um, all right. Well, yeah, that was actually definitely you know on my list of albums of consideration. Mm -hmm. um, but again, going with the whole indie punk thing that that you know I represent in our right. uh, in our partnership here, uh, I'm going to go with the 1983 X album Los Angeles. Okay, is my number four. Again, choice. does not surprise me. Yeah, good choice. And, and again, folks, it's not we're not going by total record sales, total popularity. It's our personal choices. Yep. Looking back on that decade and what. What sang to us, to use a bad pun, most out of all the albums that were out there. Yeah. Again, this was an album that, that was changing things. Yes. And influenced so many people that came after. It didn't sell a gazillion copies, mm -hmm. but, you know, was was just a prominent, prominent part of the what was considered the underground yeah. uh, during that era. And, of course, you know, near and dear to my heart, there were Los Angeles bands. So sure. There you go. And I remember we used uh, a song by X, Fourth of July, yep. in, I believe, the second episode Going back. of Riffs and Rants. I believe we did. To close it out. I believe yeah. we did, yeah. And then I had heard it, like, that same week, watching an old rerun of The Sopranos, yep. where the heavyset uh, gay capo, I forget his name, who disappears in, like, New Hampshire... He walks into this little antique shop and they're playing that song and I was like, holy shit, Michael Sean Lee just <laughs> showed me the song for the first time ever the other day and now here it is, you know, on, on a major show. Yeah. See, yeah. funny the things you pick up on Riffs and Rants. Kind of funny, isn't it? Yep. All right. What do you got, John? All right. Well, then that would put me at my number four and again, I wouldn't have thought this then. Hell, I wasn't even listening to it then, but now I will go back and use my favorite Van Halen album. Fair warning. Nice. Uh, from the early 80s because it is their most raw studio album. No you know, doubt. Fans consider it the Eddie album because it was just so centric on that. Oh, yeah. I also throw in uh, it could be the most Michael Anthony album because the bass is so pronounced in every song on it. Yep. And it's just it's just raw. Hey, if you want to go on the short list of like blow my face out exactly albums, <laughs> this one is on that list yep. without a doubt. It's just nothing but bad intentions and no apologies, no love songs, none of that. Yep, it just just works on every level. Yeah, yeah, good call, good stuff. Thank you, good stuff. Over to you, Mutt. All right, continuing on with uh, what I've already established as a as a theme here, and also mining stuff from the early part of the 1980s. 
Uh, I want to go with the 1982 Clash album, Combat Rock. Nice. Uh, nice. Which just, just launched the Clash. Yep. You know, Featuring they, such hits as? Uh, Rock the Casbah. Yeah. Should I Stay or Should I Go was also on there. Huge rotation. Yeah. It, again, and, you know, and, and I, in irony, I guess you could say, um, with the history of the Clash, um, when Rock the Casbah became huge, the guy who wrote the band, <laughs> wrote the song, Topperhead and the band's drummer, yep. he'd been fired from the band at that point because he was off his ass on a number of different substances, <laughs> you know. And unfortunately, this was pretty much, you know, for those who are Clash historians, this was the beginning of the end of the Clash. Yep. But, you know, such an influential band. And, I mean, they also did London Calling in the early 1980s, so that could very easily have ended up on the list. Mm -hmm. But, again, Combat Rock as far as putting the clash over the top internationally in the mainstream totally that was the album you nice. know it was good stuff so good so far and there we go and i do kind of love the way they reflect our individual musical taste <laughs> to some extent <laughs> yep. they really do yep okay well that puts me at my what number 3 now uh, yes uh, a band we just heard from the cars and i went with heartbeat city cuz yes. really you, you can't miss on any of their 80s albums cuz they all had huge hits on them yep. you know yep but for, for my money, I went with Heartbeat City um, just as the most endearing of them of that period. Yeah. Could have went candy out, but, you know. At that point, the, the, excuse me, the Cars were an upper echelon band. Yes. You know, they, they had, had made their bones. Yeah. They were established. Oh, yeah. I remember. And now people are just waiting for the next hit. Oh, yeah. I remember, you know, in my high school years going to, going to parties. You know, again, the cool kid parties. Right. You know, and that album was just, you know, part of that soundtrack. Yeah, I could remember, like it was yesterday, the certain glee that, that Casey Kasem took when he got to introduce, like, the next car song into <laughs> yep. the American Top 40. You yep. know, it's yep. like, oof. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good call. I highly endorse it. Definitely. Nice. Good stuff. All right. So we're down to number, my number two choice. Your number two. Again, you know, uh, being... You know, representing <laughs> what I represent, I'm going to throw this out there: the uh, uh, REM debut album "Murmur." There you go. You know, the legendary debut album. Uh, the big hit on that, of course, was "Radio Free Europe." Uh -huh. You know, I remember hearing that for the first time and not quite understanding it, not comprehending it. It was so new and it was so different. It was like, "What is this?" Right. right. You know, and then you heard that tune, and it was just like. You know, it just energized you. Mm -hmm. You know, it made you want to bounce around and break shit. You know? <laughs> and it was the beginning of, you know, just seminal album after seminal album from R.E.M. Right. You know, such a huge influence, again, you know, on all the bands that came after them. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they were doing it from a completely different place than everybody else was doing it. Right, right. And Athens, Georgia? Yeah. Really? Yep. But that's where they came from. And, you know, coming up through the college crowds. Yeah. Which is something that really wasn't heavily, like, vested in up to that point. True, true. At least not for musical acts. Like, comedians were doing it. Yep. And I guess sometimes, you know, bands started to get in, and maybe that was the precursor for alt-rock as we know it. Huge part of it. Huge part of it. They really did... Uh, exemplify the get in the van, yep. you know, and tour, you know, the backwater places and the clubs and whatnot. I mean, they set up a, a touring circuit, I guess you could say, for a lot of indie bands that came after them. It's like, mm -hmm. well, let's do what, it, what R.E.M. did. Let's follow the same circuit of clubs and, you know, friendly listeners and, and friendly markets and whatnot. You know, they laid groundwork. You right. know, they really, really did. And again, Murmur was the start of it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, props to R.E.M. for, yeah. you know, changing culture. Good choice. Can't hate on it. Uh, coming in at my number two. Yeah. A uh, little bit later in the 80s. And right. as I had mentioned to you in one of our off-air uh, off discussions, probably 
the first band that I took a vested interest in okay. in terms of getting involved with them fairly early in the process and following through their entire careers after that, right. as long as it lasted. Right. And for me, that was In Excess, ah, and yes. the album was Kick, yep. which yep. was just laden with, with hit after hit after hit and yep. video airplay and the whole nine yards. And... Um, you know, for me, this would have been, I guess, uh, 88 that, that came out. So yep. it was like a mixture of my junior and senior year in high school. Yep, yep. And perfect album for a perfect time in my life, getting my license, getting my car, running around, doing everything that keeps a young man alive, as Rod yep. Stewart used to say. Indeed. And yeah, it just stayed with me after that for the next you know, three or four albums they yep. did. Yep. Um, just a great, well-rounded band, and in so oh, many yeah. ways just, just screams 80s. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and, and it, it's unfortunate. I don't think it's, it's withstood the test of time as much as a lot of other stuff did, but you really had to be um, a music fan at that time to understand how huge that album was and right. how, how big and how influential In Excess were. Yeah. You know, that was really, a, you know, a monster and of its, its time. And it's funny you put it that way, because when I first bought the cassette, We'll explain cassette. what that is. Yeah, <laughs> we'll explain what that is someday, folks. Um, you know, you, you have one of those expanded liners, you know, so yep. an accordion down. And I couldn't believe how many people were in the band. Yeah. Because already I was just like trained to think that a, a rock band is four people. Right. You know, five right. if you really want to push it. I guess they were six or seven. Yeah. And it was like trying to figure out like who the brothers were and the whole thing. And it's just mm-hmm. like, where the name? Just getting into the whole process and realizing that. Even the songs I didn't really care for, I still liked, if that yeah. made sense. Yeah. But the other ones that I really liked, I really liked. Oh, yeah. And I would bounce from a steady diet of hip-hop and club music based on where I lived yeah. to this. Yeah. It's a real like dichotomy there. Oh, yeah. And again, it's, it's, it's difficult for people to wrap their brains on now um, how huge a personality Michael Hutchins was. Yeah. At yeah, the time. Gone way too soon. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But good call. Good stuff. Thank you, sir. Good Over stuff. to you with a big number one. Uh, I'm gonna break break no tight pressure. here. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna change things up a little bit. What? Um kinda sorta. I mean, this was uh, a band that was originally underground and this album really launched them into the status of international um, superstars. Uh, but if you were of the time you would understand how just monstrous and what a humongous impact this album had on culture in general. I'm talking about the 1987 U2 album, Joshua Tree. Oh, U2. An absolute monster album. Undeniable. Just a monster, yeah. you know. And again, you know, up until that point, U2 were kind of fringe. Yep. You know, they were kind of on the outside, you know, and they were very cool in that respect. And then they busted with this, and there was a time there in 87, where this is all you heard. Right. I mean, everywhere you looked, every time you changed, you turned on the radio, changed the, changed the station, you heard another Joshua tune. Right. Uh, Joshua Tree tune, you know? They it just they had like six or seven songs from that album that got insane airplay. Yeah. You know, and it launched these guys, just absolutely launched them. And it's funny, and, and it draws in the stark relief how a lot of this, you know, the bands that you start listening to or when you get into them, it's a lot of it's just timing. Oh yeah, because getting into you two later on, and probably well not in, in, yeah definitely into the nineties when I started listening to them. Yeah, I caught it too late, and I I missed the zeitgeist, if yeah. you will, of yeah. just pure talent and originality. Yeah, and I got the version of you two that was busy telling everybody how great they were, <laughs> you know, yeah. and Bono yeah. just trying to shame everybody from Mother Teresa on down <laughs> that they weren't doing enough to save the world. 
So it, it formed my opinions that way. Oh, yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because a lot of people resented the Joshua Tree album. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, like I said, you know, U2 was fringe and they were kind of like, you know how you, you, you grab a hold of and make, you know, certain fringe bands that aren't that popular your band. Right, right. And they just blew that away. They just absolutely blew it up and became everybody's band. Right. And a lot of people didn't dig it. A lot of people resented the shit out of it, you yep. know? But, you know, in your progression and, and what you do as an artist, you know, you kind of got to go down that road if you can. Yeah. And, and they definitely did, you know. And, and again, you know, in this day and age and, you know, how the way albums break these days, it's hard to describe to people how huge this mm-hmm. album was. Right. You know, it was global. It was stunning how big it was. Yeah, they owned a big chunk of the 80s. Yes, owned they did. It. Yes, owned they, it. they did. <laughs> All right. Well, my number one yes. was, um, it was the only one out of my five that really wasn't difficult to think of or place in an order. Um, and I hate to sound like, like a sellout because we've talked about this before in the show, <laughs> but I, I, I got to go with Guns N' Roses and Appetite for there Destruction. We there we go. Because it not only did it, Immediately owned the space on my cassette deck the yep. day I got it, and like yep. shit, what was it, eighty seven or eight? Yeah, about 87. that. Yeah, eighty seven. Um, it stayed there for well into the early nineties until oh, yeah. User Illusion came out. Yep. it was always in the car somewhere. Yep, because every freaking song on that album rocked. Oh yeah, I mean. You know, I'm a big proponent of Van Halen. I love to say their first album was like mind blowing. Yep, but if I'm gonna do apples to apples. Appetite for Destruction, every freaking song oh, yeah. was a hit. Hey, at that point in time, if you were going out for the night to get into some fucking trouble, absolutely, to get into some trouble, this was your soundtrack. Many a night, this was the theme track for <laughs> yeah. yep. all kinds of shenanigans. And my favorite one, I remember coming back from taking my PSATs, all right. okay? Yep. And I thought, you know, by and large, it kind of knocked it out the park. So I'm driving home with my 72 Oldsmobile, <laughs> blasting Appetite for Destruction. Nice. And I pulled to the driveway as my parents were about to, to go out knickknacking or antiquing for the day. Right, right. And so like, oh, how did it go? And as I'm talking to them, my dad's like just looking at my car and looking at me. Like, that's, <laughs> that's awful loud. And, and as he's like just giving the visual reprimand, yeah. uh, I think it was Out to Get Me was the song that I was Ooh. playing at the time. <laughs> and in part where he's like, everybody can fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like everybody in the neighborhood now knew where I stood on things. Yep. Yep. But yeah, again, just such a part of, of my 80s. And going back, it's, it's difficult to find any flaws yeah. in, in that album. Oh, it was a monster. It was an absolute monster. They could have easily titled the album Fuck You. Yeah, and it, it would have worked. Because, yeah, and it's, you know, it's probably why it appealed to so many of us. It was like, there we go. That's yeah. the ultimate. It's like the old uh, you know? amazing Jonathan skit, the magician, where he's like, you're just mad because I fooled you. Fuck you. I fooled you. When you're that yeah. good, you can get away with it. Oh, they nailed it. They, they you know, props <laughs> to Guns N' Roses. They nailed it. All right, so that wraps up our, Good our, stuff, our top man. five favorite yeah. '80s albums. You know, we just offended the '80s. We truly did, did we? as far as like you know being being a decade <laughs> that contributed to yeah. you know music history. And now, look, honorable mention at least from this slob right here. I, I gotta say, you know, little baby apologies for the Princes and the Madonnas oh, and the yeah. Springsteens. We love what you just did. Yep. Even the Duran Durans. I mean, look, yeah, the music taste was all over the place. Oh, yeah. You know, Culture Club, Boy George, God bless you. Thank God you did what you did then and you were yep. you then because oh. now it would just get oh, lost yeah. in a sea of sameness. And I'll throw in notch to the Smiths, Lou Reed, um, 
the Stones had a couple of great albums during yep. that era. Uh, you know, if you're on the, the country uh, fringe, um, Guitar Town, Steve Earle, mm-hmm. you know, so many, John, John Lennon's Double Fantasy album, you know, so many, so many honorable mention albums that, yeah. you know, unfortunately we couldn't. couldn't and of course, really you know, burgeoning hip hop at the time, just yep. getting its feet wet and getting bigger and bigger. Death of Disco, thank you. Um, <laughs> and then even, you know, if you look over at our friends in country western music, yeah. they were finally getting out of the rhinestone cowboy phase and yep. getting to more mainstream stuff with crossover groups like uh, Alabama. Yep. Um, very early towards the end of the, of the decade, you know, we started seeing some Garth Brooks. Yep. Um, Female country artists yes. started hitting yeah. that era, too. And not just as novelty acts. Yeah, yeah you Shania you know? Twain's, right. you know, and whatnot. Right. Yeah, that's, that's when a whole different genre of country music emerged. Yeah, so when you look at the giant piece of the pie that is the 80s music scene, there's so much to be had and enjoyed. Yeah. That's why we talked about it, yeah. right? There you We're go. new at this. We didn't fall down with the last drop of rain. Hell no. And on that note, it's yeah. time for the final gem of the day. Oh, I like it. I, I like believe it. you got a lead in for us, sir. Uh, yeah, well, again, you know, since we were focusing on, you know, songs that were the soundtrack of the era, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, you know, how hard it, it probably is to understand these days how big NXS was. Yep. But if you're talking about a song that, again, you know, if you had to put together a soundtrack of the 1980s, this song would definitely be featured on it. Absolutely. Uh, this is an NXS tune called Don't Change. Outstanding choice. And again, love me some NXS. So I was totally on board with this one. So let's spin this tune for you, gang. And then we'll be back in a couple minutes with just a few more things and stuff in terms of wrapping up the episode. Stay tuned.
Oh, it takes me back. It takes me back. Such a happy little... Like They should make an 80s movie just around <laughs> that song. I'm telling you. Beginning, man. middle, and end. Just like an yep. episode of this. Yep. Uh, for those of you who weren't there, uh, that was from uh, In Excess's 1982 album, Shabu Shuba. I hope I'm doing that pronunciation justice. Right. <laughs> um, that tune, and this is kind of amusing was regarded as their quote-unquote first international tune, yep. as in they had many more international hits afterwards. Mm. And if you can just wrap your brain around that, they were from, I think, Australia, weren't they? Yes, they were. And, you know, international hits, yep. that is not bullshit. You know? And it, it's funny because their emergence in the, now really, as far as Australia goes, coming to prominence in the early 80s, matches um, what they call the the Oz movement in Australia where their cinema blew up as well. Really? And you were having movies like Mad Max and Road Warrior. Yep, yep, yep. And they were, it was a lot of grindhouse kind of stuff mimicking what we were doing in Hollywood. Right. But with a certain je ne sais quoi of I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> which yep. you would expect from a country founded by criminals. You know? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Just saying. Same thing as, as, as if, LA, if basically. You, yeah, right? if you know your Australia history, that's what they put there. Somebody yeah. put them there. It was like, you can't, you can't come home to... Our country anymore. We're putting you there. Right. And, and I, yeah. I think much like groups like ACDC, I don't know if they ever would have risen to prominence the way they did without that that social movement of, of the time. Right. And as I remarked to you once before, just in the same way that ACDC could do lyrics that were, in, in many cases, more Americana than what the American bands were putting out at the yeah. time, yeah. NXS was the same way for the, uh, the pop culture 80s set. Yeah, whether it was standardized love songs. I mean, look, they had a monster hit when they did uh, "Never Tear Us Apart." Yep, which in and of itself was a very generic tune. Oh yeah, but they knew. Let's say, for example, to incorporate the sexy saxophone solo, <laughs> which was a mainstay in the yep. '80s for any of those like intense kind of songs. Oh yeah. Well, if you look at the progression between "Don't Change" and "Never Tear Us Apart," right? You know, that's that's an amazing thing to see in a band. Yeah. And, uh, and, and a couple amazing albums in between. Yeah. You know, like the one I, that really hooked me on them, which got heavy uh, video and radio rotation off of the Kick album, was a Devil Inside. Yep. And again, as a young teen ready to burst out into the world, this was like my anthem, you know? Oh, like, yeah. I'm a devil. I could do this too, so I'm going to get in trouble. Yep. And we could just relate to it. Oh, yeah. I actually had the benefit of seeing NXS live in the summer, I believe, of 1985. Oh. And it was one of those things where I just. You know, had the opportunity to go to the show. Uh -huh. So I was like, yeah, I'll go. What the hell? I'm not doing anything tonight. And was just, you know, pleasantly stunned right. at how good <laughs> these guys were. It was and like, we've all been at those shows oh, yeah. when you walk out pleasantly stunned. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> holy shit, these guys are good. They're yep. for real. So, yeah, you know, props to NXS. Unfortunately, probably has been lost in the annals of time. But of their time, they were, they were monsters. Yeah. They really were. I mean, to this day, every high-level fashion show you go to... Those chicks are going to be prancing down the aisle to suicide blonde, <laughs> yep, like yep. it's their job, which no it doubt. is. <laughs> yep. But that's that's yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So good stuff. Good, good stuff. stuff. So John, what's uh, what's new and exciting in Big Boom Radio this oh, week? Oh, just the usual shenanigans. Yeah, right. Putting some new stuff together. I'm uh, big on shenanigans. I like shenanigans. Yeah. Oh. And and now when I uh, get a new episode of like anything, basically, I'll try and put it out on our Twitter feed. Okay. Um, with those uh, people who were on Twitter, don't forget we are at Big Boom Radio. One, the number one, and you can see all my little like thought bubbles popping <laughs> off here and there and everywhere, which are never boring. As well as the eclectic mix of followers we both have and 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 we follow, you know. Yes. But um, 
yeah, I'm trying to like stay on top of that whole social media thing. And we have a, another, yet another new episode of the Classic Rock Showcase that I uh, finished this nice. week. Nice. Yeah, this was a groundbreaking one, I think. Uh, well, yeah, because I went with Santana. Nice. Which I had never touched before. Okay. And it was one of those that I really enjoyed doing it because it was like a voyage of, of discovery for myself. Right. Because we never know as much as we think we do of course. until you jump down a rabbit hole. Yep, yep. And I realize now, more than ever before, the breadth of work that Carlos Santana was responsible for or a part of, and it's massive. So yeah. it was very easy to do a full hour. I had almost forgotten the connection between duh, the band Santana <laughs> from the 80s and Carlos Santana because all I would think of him as was... Songs they did at Woodstock, the Oyo Como Vaz, yep, you know. What's it all with the witchy, uh, Black Magic Woman? Yep. You know, Carlos is one of those dudes where he emerges once every 10 years to remind you how cool he is. Exactly. And how amazing exactly. a guitar player and is. And that's what happened. Yeah. It was like every 10 years, the sound would reinvent itself. And the band was still Santana, but the, the members of the band would change and reflect those times, and yep. their sound would reflect those times. Absolutely. They got very top 40 like in the 80s, and then the 90s hit, and he dropped off a little bit until the late 90s and really started recording in earnest again with different uh, guest vocalists and, and whatnot and yeah. became probably more popular than ever. Yeah. But yeah, I enjoyed the shit out of doing that, so that'll be happening. It's already done, but I got it inserted I don't know, maybe the week of Christmas as a special <laughs> present to everybody. Nice. You know, last week we debuted uh, the Smashing Pumpkins and the Jam. Looks like everybody liked that stuff. Good stuff. Um, yeah, it's just like every now and again, I just think of somebody. I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. got to do them. You know, it's funny, to, just to harken back to Carlos for a minute, uh, anybody that, that uh, is conscious of the... Uh, hit smooth that he did with Rob Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Rolling Stone that uh, that posted this. Initially, when they approached Carlos to do the song, not interested. Right. You know, they had to lobby him. They had to, you know, really, really get on him, pull some favors, like please give this a listen. You know, and Rob Thomas, of course, understanding who Carlos Santana was, you know, was on board with. We gotta convince Carlos to do sure, this. Sure, sure. But you know, as as is so the case with with quite a few. Uh, mega hits. Initially, not interested. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's ironic as hell because the song was huge and it yeah. was huge on an international basis because that's the playing field that Carlos plays on. Right. And, right. Uh, and yeah, the, the idea that, uh, the thought that he almost passed on it is just, I, it amuses the hell out of me. Right. It truly does. I mean, because really, at face value, if it was, if you're there in the room as it's being proposed, it's like Miles Davis playing with Smash Mouth. I mean, <laughs> It just doesn't seem like a match made in heaven. But if you massage it long enough yeah. and kind of, you know, fit the square peg into a round hole, it, it could work. Yep. And it did. It was oh. probably Santana's most popular hit ever. Yeah, so, I, I believe knows, it was. You know? yeah. yeah, no doubt. Unreal. That's Funny why I hate stuff. pundits because nobody knows anything about this anything. This is true. <laughs> so on that note, yes, yes we're going to wrap up this, the very uh, penultimate 93rd episode. <laughs> Woof. And it's getting scary because, you know, closing in on 100, we got to make 100 super special, yep. double-sized, extra caffeine, you name it. Yep. That's, that entails actual work, which we hate, what? but whatever. Nah, it's going to be fun. Maybe guest stars. Maybe a, a cavalcade of characters from we, Big oh Boom. Oh, my goodness. There's quite a few. Again, quite a few. it's going to take some work and some thought. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. We'll not our real house, necessarily. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try. We'll muddle through. 
Yeah. So on that note, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us on this episode. And as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we'll see you all on the flip side.